0: So in what now turns out to be the third episode of this mini-series dealing with aspects of the self and particularly of the extent to which we can be conscious of ourselves, the question naturally arises, if we are at any given moment only aware of a very narrow window into our essence, the one that tells us what's in front of us, what we're feeling... Uh, what we're afraid of, what we're whatever, in an instantaneous moment in our lives. Then, where does the more extended notion of the self come from? And I suppose a secondary question, but perhaps even a more important question is: How real is it, or is it just a construct? And the the first thing I would say is that. There are, I think, at least three sources of this other notion of the self. One of them is what I suppose you would call our ability to recall our own past, not necessarily very accurately. I mean, I think everybody accepts that when we remember anything, we also reshape it to some extent, and that every time we remember something, the memory is not just changed in its meaning but actually physically changed in the way the brain stores it we i think know this more or less definitively now and then there is the opposite side of that that's the bit of us that is imagining anticipating sometimes fearing sometimes looking forward to with great joy and enthusiasm some aspect of the future So that forms a sort of uh, bubble around the present, our recollection of what we have done and our anticipation of what we will do, that certainly colours the present and contributes to, in quite an important way, who we think we are at any given moment. But I should add the qualification that I suspect that that's far less consistent and persistent, and fixed than we like to imagine. It certainly doesn't have any particularly strong association with whatever we might have been thought or taught to have think of as our soul or our essence. So that's one of them. The next one is that what you think of me will have an enormous impact on me, you singular and plural. Because, of course, the way we interact with one another is constantly giving both of us feedback about ourselves. Some of it good, some of it bad. Some of it what we want more of, some of what we want less of, and so forth. And in that interaction, a story is being created out there about us uh, so that, as you might say... Uh, when people are talking about me in the pub, which, of course, they're doing all the time, he says, with paranoid glee. Uh, When people are talking about me or when there is any kind of narrative about me out there, it is composed of a whole concatenation of experiences of me and stories about me, some of them more or less true than others. And so there is out there a story about me that in some measure or other is fed back to me and in some measure or other influences me and in some measure or other influences the way people deal with me and treat me. If I have a good reputation, they will treat me one way. If they have a, a bad one, it'll be another. If I'm thought to be gullible, then I may get conned. If I'm thought to be intransigent, then people may well... Not want to deal with me in some circumstances, etc. I mean, you, you, it's endless story uh, that you could tell. So that's the second, the singular and the collective you or they who create a story about me. And the third one, which is perhaps the most familiar to us, although op- often the least reliable is the entire narrative that we construct about ourselves so that to go back to my paranoid example what people are saying about me if they're talking about me on the clapham omnibus may or may not have any connection with who i really am Uh, but it may have very close connection but the bit of it that i as you might say incorporate into my own story the story i tell myself constitutes a part of the narrative that I believe myself to be described by. Although, of course, a lot of that narrative simply isn't, for the most part, true. And so we find ourselves in a funny situation. There is this instantaneous sense of the self that has a tiny bandwidth in our contemporary consciousness... There are the memories and anticipations that go with that to, to colour that impression of what it is to be a person in the world. There are the interactions we have with other people that act as a kind of social mirror that reflect back to us how we seem to other people, sometimes fairly, sometimes much less fairly. And then all of that can combine insofar as we're aware of it of course, there's a bit of the story that is told about us that we are not aware aware of and indeed cannot be aware of if you think about the story that may be told about us after we're dead Um, Aristotle has no idea and could never have had any idea of what's been said about him in the two and a half thousand years since he lived so there's always going to be a part of that external narrative of which we are oblivious to which we are oblivious But to the extent that that narrative does, as you might say, come back to us and influence us, it will affect the story we tell about ourselves. And each of those would really be worth an episode in itself. But I think that just to identify what those things are is fair enough. I suppose there is a fourth. You may be thinking there is a fourth. There is the fiction that people invent about me. You know, if someone dislikes me, someone has malicious intent towards me, they may create fictional stories deliberately about me. A lot of the the story that is supposed to be reliable and true and very similitudinous is also probably fictional, but not deliberately so. But there will certainly be malignant stories told about most of us at some stage in our lives that I suppose do in some frame of reference, constitute a fourth source, if particularly if we start to believe them. And that's where I'd like to end, but with one final caveat, which is that all of these stories can find themselves in some sort of conflict with one another. And so we can find ourselves as you might say, not liking ourselves very much, not because we have done things of which we should be ashamed, that's often true as well, but that we've done things that have been either misrepresented, misunderstood or deliberately taken advantage of by other people and for which we have been blamed as if we had done something reprehensible even though what we have done was entirely honourable and intended to be positive and make a good contribution to the world. So we get blamed for things unjustly, perhaps just because people don't like them. So we can act with the very best of intentions and find that the story that we have made a contribution to out there has somehow got worse and that can lead us to have a lower opinion of ourselves so one of the things that we should do if we can is to learn to trust ourselves to trust our judgment so that to take an earlier example but just one The thing I've said many, many times in these voice notes about sometimes I find myself doing something, reading something, writing something, thinking something without the foggiest idea why I'm doing it and often feeling a bit of a fool. But if I have confidence that my non-conscious brain is doing this for a reason, perhaps a reason that isn't articulable but can't be put into words to explain the reason to me but is still legitimate and worthwhile, then if I trust my instincts, if we can call them that, I may find later that the thing that I had been doing proves fruitful. And so trusting ourselves because nobody else can do it for us, trusting our instincts about how to spend our lives, about how to invest our time in the present in a way that will prove fruitful, that will have fruitfulness, those intimations of fruitfulness that may be instinctive rather than articulate, rather than put into words, that piece of trusting ourselves is a very, very important part of being, in te- of the integrity of the self, shall we put it that way. Because if we don't trust those instincts, we may find ourselves cut off from an aspect of ourselves that is very important. An aspect of our future that will prove to be very important because we didn't have the confidence to pursue things that seemed important at the time. In other words, we shouldn't be in too much of a hurry to make sense of the world in terms of the past, because what makes sense of what we're doing right now may lie in the future. So we shouldn't be too hesitant to unmake sense, because the only sense that can be made of now may prove to be some time down the road.